I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And in my study this week, I came across a really interesting illustration of a guy in Hollywood. He was a producer, he was a screen actor, a director, a writer. Um, his name is Judd uh, Apatow, and he produced movies like Bridesmaid, Talladega Nights, Anchorman, and a bunch of other ones. Uh, but they did an interview with him. The uh, New York Times Sunday Book Review regularly interviews people, especially writers, about what they're reading and uh, what they're uh, embracing and what books are currently on your shelf and what's the one that you're reading at this particular time and uh, what would we might be surprised to find on your shelf. So they did this interview with him. And then they asked him another question. The questions were like this. Disappointing, overrated, just not good. What book do you feel you were supposed to like and didn't? Do you remember the last book you put down without finishing? And this is what he said. Apatow said this. The Bible. It's just not working for me. I wish it was. Wouldn't it be great if it did work for me and I had the peace one gets when knowing the universe is just and kind and guided by eternal intelligence? Maybe I'm just reading it wrong. And I'm like, wow, how, how sad. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that from my life. I wouldn't want that from anybody else's life. And the, the question I have is, well, maybe we can read the Bible wrong. Maybe there's a wrong way to read the Bible. Maybe we're supposed to get something deeper out of it by maybe walking in obedience to what God would want us to, to do in life. Maybe it would be like this. At the beginning of the year, um, I choose to lose weight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the three best book on losing weight. And, and I look at these books and I, and I read these books. I spend the book, the month of January, reading these books. I read them. And I take notes on them and I write them up. And then at the end of those three books, the end of January, I get on the scale and I find out I've gained five pounds. <laughs> What's the problem? Well, maybe there's some things in the book that you're supposed to do. Maybe there's something like exercise that you're supposed to do. And maybe what we are supposed to do is to look at the Word of God and say, wait a minute, where can I apply this to my life? In the book of James, that's specifically what the author says. James chapter 1, we're going to look at James, James next week, so I invite you to come back. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. How would we deceive ourselves? By thinking that we're doing actually what God wants us to do, when in reality we're not responding to the instruction that God has given to us. We're not listening to the word of God and walking in obedience to what, what God's word would have for us. And what I want us to do in this series is this. I, I want us to love God's word. Because it points to the person, Jesus, who loves us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Here's the picture of my granddaughter. Now, this is Paisley. And let me tell you why this picture warms my heart. Because she came to her mom and dad. She says, you know what? I want to read the Bible this year. I want to read, read through the Bible. So she went out and they went to their, their bookstore where they are and they, and they got her a Bible. And that... That warms my heart because I know that that book, if she continues to read it and to meditate on it and to look to the person of Jesus, it's going to radically change her life and provide her with the foundation that she needs for living. And that's why we spent three, four weeks on this series, The Last Word. Not just to 
come every Sunday and to look at the Bible and go, yeah, I've been there, done that, read that. No, it's to look at God's word and to ask God's word, how might this word open my eyes to the wonder and the beauty of Jesus? How might the reliability of this word radically change the circumstances of my life? What about the power of God's divine word to encourage me and to build me up and to help me? What about the historical reliability of God's word in here? What about the variety of ways in which God chooses to reveal himself to us? What about the spirit of God that, that's given to us to live inside of us to, to help each other? What about the, the men and women surrounding us who are immersed in God's word, who are trying to help us? That's what we want to look at. Because I want our foundations to be incredibly strong so that we are responding in the right way. And all of this book points to one person, Jesus. That's why in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 14, we read these words. The incarnation, God comes to us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Wow. God came and for 33 and a half years tabernacled among us. And for three, three and a half years, he went out in the area of Galilee and everybody saw Jesus and who he is and how lives could be radically different. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We have seen his grace. We have seen his truth. We've seen how he radically changes life. And that's what I'm hoping that as we go through this series, we're falling in love not just with who is revealed in the Bible, but the person of Jesus Christ and what he would have for us. So that's kind of where we're going. And this morning we're going to talk about foundations. What's the foundation of your life? How are you building on it? So hear the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the winds rose, winds blew, and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I simply pray with the psalmist, Psalm 119, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. Father, how that uh, when we look to the person of Jesus, when we look to the word of God, when we look to the rock of our salvation, our refuge, Father, that you allow us to build upon our lives. And Father, we want to be men and women who have a solid foundation resting upon the unique person of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. And Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. So what we have here in this text are the words of Jesus and how we might live. And to the amazement of the people, that's the way that the, the people responded. They responded in amazement. And, and the first word there in their text is really, really important. It's, it's, it's therefore. 
And, and the reason I, I want to focus a little bit of attention on that is simply because this. When the Bible uses the word therefore, it, it's, he's building a case. He's saying, listen, because I've said all of this stuff, maybe he's laid out the, the theology, if you were. Therefore, because of theology, now what I want you to do, I want you to do these types of things. I want you to respond. And what we have here is he, we have Jesus. Jesus is actually getting to the end of some extended teaching. Chapters 5 six and seven, 116 verses, if you will. And he's getting to the end of this. And he says, therefore, because of everything that I've said, now I want you to build a solid foundation. So that word, therefore, is really, really important when we look at the broader context of what we're dealing with here. For instance, the instructions actually for this, therefore, begin in chapter five, verse one. And we call that the Beatitudes. In other words, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, he's showing us how to live, not so much externally, because that's what they were in. They were into the rules, regulations of their faith. 600 and plus commandments, if you will. What Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, he's saying, listen, you can experience God's blessing, but that blessing is going to come on the inside because what God wants to do, what Jesus wants to do is to transform our lives. So we go through the Beatitudes and we see and read things like this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourn. Blessed those who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, those who are insulted because of Jesus. All of those wonderful qualities are a part of our relationship with God. And what Jesus is doing is saying, listen, faith is not about the external, it's about internal transformation. And what I want to give you is I want to give you something radically different about how your life can be lived in the ethics of the kingdom. And it's not about the external stuff that you may have. And there's another reason why this is important. When you go back and look at chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus continually goes back to the Old Testament. He continually goes back to some of the laws, if you will, the Old Testament. And in that, he says, listen, I, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I'm the Messiah. I came to actually fulfill the law and the prophets. So when you read about the law, when you read about the prophets, when you read all of those things, you're going to find that they all point to me, the person of Jesus Christ. There's another reason why this broad context in chapters 5, 6, and 7 are so important. Because Jesus clarifies his teaching. He says this, you know what? You have heard it is said, but I tell you this. And what he does is he actually transforms some of the Old Testament, some of the ethics of the Old Testament. In other words, it means that issues such as keeping your word, oaths, the definition of adultery, the definition of divorce, how you treat your enemies, all receive entirely new instructions because of the person of Jesus and the way that we're called to live differently. There's another reason why the therefore is therefore. It's because there's a variety of themes. When you go back and look at chapter 5, 6, and 7, there are a variety of themes, topics in which we are to give and live in an entirely different way. We're to keep our word. We're to love your enemies. You're to give to those in need. You're to pray. You're to fast. You're to store up your treasures in heaven. Just to name a few of the broad themes that Jesus has just instructed in the Sermon on the Mount. And finally, the reason this is so important for the foundation of our lives is because what happens in chapter 7, verse 13. And what Jesus says is he closes this teaching out. Guess what he does? He says, there's a couple of warnings here. The first warning is this. The way that leads to destruction, it's really, really wide. And the road that leads to life is really, really narrow. 
And there's another warning. Listen, there's false prophets out there. They're going to give you false teaching. And there's a warning that you do not follow false prophets. And by the way, from a religious perspective, there's some people who think they're in the kingdom. Lord, Lord, did we not do miracles in your name? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so as we come to this text, there's a warning here about how we are to live our lives and what we are supposed to do. And so the real question as we look at chapters 5, 6, and 7, as we look at the end here, is this. How, how are we going to respond? What, is, what are we going to respond? What are we going to do with this? What's the application for all of that to the people and to us? And I think that's what we're looking at this morning, the significance of chapters 5, 6, and 7, and the broader context of the foundation of our life. And ultimately, the ethics of the kingdom, chapters 5, 6, and 7, point to to Jesus, because we can't live out these things by ourselves. I want to put up a couple of quotes just about how significant uh, this teaching in chapters 5, 6, and 7. One guy said this, the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're dealing with prior to this, like the rest of the New Testament, really leads a man straight to what? The foot of the cross. Why does that lead us to the foot of the cross? Because we realize that we cannot keep those things in and of ourselves. We need help. When you have been hurt by an enemy, and we're called to love that person and to pray for enemies. I, we cannot do that in and of ourselves. We need help. We need the Spirit of God to help us. And it points us ultimately to the cross. Oswald Chambers, a guy who did a lot of praying. Some of you know, you've probably read books. Notice what he said. The Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way in us. And I don't know about you, I want the Spirit of God living in my life, directing me, shaping me, molding me into the image of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that the Spirit of God does that is it directs us to his word. And we have the privilege this morning of learning about building on the right foundation. So, there's two things we're going to do. There's going to be some similarities as we go through this between the, the, the wise man and the, uh, the foolish man. There's going to be some similarities. There's going to be some differences between the two and then a simple application. So that, that's kind of where we're going. So if you're thinking through an, applic- to an outline, that's, that's kind of where we're going. So, so let's, let's look at the, uh, let's look at the uh, similarities first. How are they similar? How are the two men similar in the parable? Well, first of all, they both hear the words of, of Jesus. Both of them hear the words of Jesus. Verse 24 and 26 is basically the same. Everyone who hears these words of mine. Both people, both men, both people have the same information. They're listening to the same speaker. They're both getting the same teaching, if you will. And the greatest preacher, teacher, speaker to ever live was right in front of them. You don't get any better than being with Jesus. And both of them are listening to the same information, if you will. Jesus was simply giving them the words of his heavenly father, relaying to them the life and the character of his heavenly father. You know, sometimes I'll get asked, um, because, you know, people in the pastoral room, they always, well, what school did you go to? What, what seminary did you go to? And I tell them, I went to this one and I went to that one. And, you know, because they want to know your education. They want to know, well, where, where did you learn from? Where did you learn from? They learned from Jesus. You don't get any better than that. Both of them are learning from Jesus. And when Jesus spoke, things happened. Lepers were healed. Blind men saw. Paralytics were healed. Jesus would call out and the dead would rise. 
So when we're talking about the words of Jesus, it doesn't get any better than this. Verse 29 says that people acknowledge that Jesus was teaching with a different kind of authority. Not the authority of the, of, of the religious leaders, but the authority that he possessed in and of himself as God incarnate. And so these two men, if you will, they're at the same starting point. They're both listening to the words of Jesus. They're similar in that aspect. But there's another similarity. Verse 24 and 26, and it's this. They're both builders. They're both building a house. What are they trying to do? They're not just trying to erect a house. They're not just trying to build a building. They're not just trying to build a place to live. The text says everyone. The application is to everyone. So what is he doing? He's saying every one of us in this room are builders. Every one of us are builders. Young people, you're trying to figure out life. Do I listen to my family? Do I listen to my friends? Do I listen to my church? You're trying to figure out who am I? You're trying to figure out your identity. You're trying to figure it out. Some of you are in college, maybe you're in a trade school. You're trying to figure out the future. I, I'm building for a future. I'm, I'm going to classes. I'm going to college. I'm going to this trade school. Why? Because I'm going to build into a career. I'm going to build into a life. Some of you just got married. What, what are you trying to do? You're trying to build a, a marriage. Aren't you trying to build? You've got two people. Two people that, you know, that come together. And what happens when they come together? Oh, they love each other. And everything is just perfect, right? Or you're trying to build a family. All of a sudden you've got one kid. You've got two kids. And you've got another kid. And what you, you're trying to build a family. Some of you are middle-aged and you're trying to figure out, what's the next step for me in my journey? I'm going to build my portfolio. Where do I need to go from here? Some of you are building for retirement, right? Aren't you building for retirement? Where am I going to spend the rest of my days, if you will? And let me just remind you one other thing. Everybody in this room is building to a time when you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to give an account for your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse says, One day we will all stand before the Lord and we will give an accounting for our life. Every one of us are building. And I would imagine that every one of us want to build in the right way. We want to start from the ground up, whether it be our lives, whether it be our vocation, whether it be our families, our marriage, whatever it is, we want to see it start from the ground up and begin to be built in such a way that it is effective and successful, right? We're planners, we're builders, and I think that's what the text is saying. Is. So both men have the same instruction, the same person of Jesus, same uh, words, if you will. Both men are builders, and the third similarity is this. Life happens. In the midst of life, stuff happens. Verse 25, verse 27, the words are identical for a reason. The rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, and they beat against that, that house. What house? Well, the house they built. They beat against that house. In the midst of building our lives, life happened. What happened? Everyone, everyone faces storms in life. Every one of us do. You can't get away from it. If you are in the midst of life, you're going to face a storm. You're going to face a difficulty. You're going to face something challenging in your life. We're familiar with storms. It was a couple of months ago, a big old storm ran through St. Louis area, ran through the Winsfield area where my, uh, uh, my daughter and son-in-law live, and it, and it uh, tore apart some of their uh, roof, and then shingles on the, uh, on the side of the house, on the 
shingles on the roof and the siding on the, top, on the side of the house. I mean, we're all familiar with that. We've all looked out and seen the rain come, right? The rain's coming and it's coming and coming, and the, and, the, and the rivers are rising up, and it gets higher and higher, and all of a sudden the wind starts blowing, and, and we realize we're in the middle of a, a bad weather storm, a hurricane or something like that. And, and that's what happens in life. We all face difficulties and challenges of life. And this is not about building your life where there are no storms. Jesus isn't saying, okay, now what I want you to do is this. I want you, every one of you, to figure out where there are no storms in life, and I want you to build there. That's the most important. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there are storms in life. You're going to face difficulties and challenges of life. And so the point that Jesus is making is this. What are you going to do in the midst of the storms? What are you going to do when life gets messy? Life is full of bad weather and bad influences. You know, it's interesting. One of the, the reasons why it's, I think, really important to, for me, us to read the, the Bible on a daily basis is because I, I think what God does is God reveals things to you every day that you read the Bible as you take time to meditate and challenge on God's Word. So this week I'm reading, and I came to Matthew chapter 13. I'm reading through the Bible of Matthew chapter 13. I'm like, well, wow, that's an interesting parable. Let me tell you about the parable and how it applies here. Uh, the, the parable is about a man who planted a, a huge field of wheat. And sometime later, uh, they noticed that there were weeds coming out among the wheat. And so the workers came to the owner and said, in the parable they said, uh, didn't you plant wheat? Yes, I did. I planted wheat. Well, there are weeds growing up in the wheat. And then the parable, Jesus says something. He has the owner say these words, an enemy has done this. And the workers say, well, then what should we do? We'll pull up all the weeds now. They're a different height. We can identify the weeds. We'll just pull them up. And then Jesus says something surprising to the people. He says, no. No, don't, don't pull them up. Let them, let them grow together. Let them grow together until the end. And then what we'll do is we'll separate the wheat from the weeds. And doesn't that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable? Because do you want your children going to a place where there might be weeds? I mean, do we intentionally pick out a house, a job where we know that there's a lot of weeds? Of course not. We don't do that. The reality is there are weeds in life. There are storms in life. And sometimes, unfortunately, I may even be a weed in life because of what I choose to do. And so what he tells them to do is let them grow together until the end, until we come to the time where we're going to harvest all of this wheat. There's always going to be weeds. There's always going to be storms. There's always going to be something in our life, if you will. Life is not always sunshine and lollipops. And so what we have in this parable is this. Both men have the words of Jesus. Both men have the same instruction. Both men are builders, and both men face similarities. Those are the similar things about these men. So what are the differences? Because that's where we get to the, the real instructor. What are the differences? And by the way, I would, I, I would probably say that we're not any different than, any, than, than that wise man. We're all listening to the words of Jesus. We're all in church. We're all building. We're all facing storms, right? We're, we're all there. So what's the, the dissimilarities of this text? Let's walk through it and see what Jesus says and what we would learn. Notice the variables. First, they differ in their approach to Jesus' words. They differed in their approach to Jesus' words. Remember, every one of them had the same access to the same information. The first man was wise. He was sensible. He was prudent. 
He was in his right mind. Look at how he's described in verse 24. Therefore, everyone, who's he speaking to? Everyone, all of the people on the plain, everyone who's gathered there, that large gathering of people. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. What does the wise person do? It says this, he puts his words into practice. The wise person, through the words of Jesus, through the word of God, through all of the resources given to him, takes those words and begins to apply them to whatever circumstances that we might find ourselves in. And go back again to this Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and you'll see a variety of topics. So whatever I might be facing in my life, I'm going to come to the person of Jesus, I'm going to come to the Word of God, and I'm going to look at that instruction and say, you know what, I may be, need to be doing this. So if you're a young person, where are you building your identity? Mom? Dad? Family? Friends? I mean, where are you getting your identity? Or are you getting your identity from Psalm 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? And that God loves you and cares for you and you're created in the image of God. And if you're a young person, where are you building your career on? What are you basing your career on? Are you basing it on the, just the things that you want to do? Or is it all derived from what the Bible might have? You're building a family, a marriage, all of those things. What we have the privilege of doing is putting the Word of God into practice into our lives so that we can find success, effectiveness in what God would have for us. Psalm 119 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and what? A light unto my path. What are you facing? Finances? You're looking at God's Word? What are the principles in God's Word that I need to use? A relationship? What are the, what are the principles in God's Word that I can apply in my life? that would help me. Facing something really, really difficult, challenging in your life, you're wondering where God is, I would suggest let's get into God's word and invite God's word and let's put it into practice. See, in opposition to the person who puts God's word into practice is the guy that's not very wise. Look at verse 26. But everyone to all of us who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You know what the Greek word for foolish is? You probably don't know it, but it's, listen to it. Morose. Morose. What does it sound like? Moron? Doesn't it sound like moron? That, that's what we get. Morose. It's not that they're a moron. What it means is this. They hear God's word. They hear the words of Jesus. They listen to the words. And then they say, well, you know what? I'm just going to go off and do my own. I'm not going to listen to them. In other words, this is about the practice of listening, hearing, responding to God's word. They're a little bit off-center. They're foolish in the way that they would apply and practice God's word in their life. Wisdom in the Bible, go back and look at um, uh, the book of Proverbs. Wisdom in the Bible is taking God's word and applying it to the various circumstances of our life and then building on that foundation, if you will, that solid foundation, so that when the storms come, we're able to stand. So they're different in the way that they respond to the word of God. The second variable is this. It's the foundation. It's a foundation. What is our foundation is the question. Wise man built his house on the rock. And it says the foolish man built his house upon the sand. While both men have the same instruction, 
Both men have the same dream, vision, same building, same storm. They did not have the same foundation, the footing, if you will, that their life and their uh, uh, their lives were built on was was something that was slippery. What's interesting is this: is if you look at this text and you look at the Gospel of Luke, you realize that Luke adds another dimension as to understanding the foundation. Luke chapter six verse forty-eight it says this: What did the wise man do? He built deep. He went down deep. He dug deep. So his foundation, his foundation is beyond the surface. His foundation is really, really deeper. Listen, I don't know about much about building houses and I, I construct. I don't know a, a lot about that. But on a superficial level, I could probably say, if you're going to build some kind of foundation, it's going to take a little bit more work. You're going to have to give something out to, to dig out, dig out the, the dirt or the sand, and then you're going to have to dig, dig down deeper, and you're going to have to, to put some foot. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make some kind of changes, if you will, if you want to dig down deep. How deep is deep? I don't know. How solid do you want your foundation to be? Because sometimes I think that we think our foundation is deep. And by the way, what, what confronts your foundation? The storm, the difficulty, the challenge, the weed of life, right? The weeds in life. Um, so I, I wanted to just see how, how deep is deep when you're building a foundation. So I just decided I'm going to get on. What is, the, what is the deepest foundation that I can find? And this is what I found. This is a picture. This is the, the Patronus Towers in Malaysia. Now, this is a, a two-story, it's two identical 88-story skyscrapers. And, and remember, they're, they're connected together by that, that bridgeway, if you will. So these are two skyscrapers that are absolutely together. And the towers are this. They're 451.9 meters tall, and they're officially the tallest twin buildings. At least they were between uh, 1998 and 2004. And remember, it's a twin building, so that's probably why they're so tall. So the foundation, you can see the foundation there. This is how deep the foundation is. There are 104 concrete piles that make up the foundations, and they are designed to spread the load of the huge building as the land around the structure is notoriously stable. They go 400 feet down into the ground to provide the foundation that this needs. Why? Because the, the, the land around it is a little bit unstable. Listen, life is unstable. There's weeds around us. There's storms. And what we need is we need to make sure that we have a rock-solid foundation because the storms in life are going to come. And so the question I believe that Jesus is asking us is this. What are you building on your foundation? How are you building on your foundation? Or are you resting on something that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago? And are you continually growing in what you would be putting on top of your foundation, if you will? Making sure that it's shored up. If you were to have these two people standing in front of us, the wise man and the foolish man, and you were to look at their lives and you look at their houses, I'm not sure you'd see a difference. On the outside, you probably wouldn't notice a difference. Maybe even when you started to talk to them, you might not even notice a difference. When are you going to notice a difference? When the storm comes. When the storm comes. This guy's house is going to be standing. This guy's house, guess what? It's going to fall, and it's going to crash. And the only time you're going to know that is when the storm, the weeds, and the difficulties and challenges of life come. Notice what the language says. The rain came, storms rose, wind blew and beat against that house. In both cases, both of them experienced difficulties and challenges. 
through weeds, storms, hardships in life. And the question is, what foundation might you and I have, and are we continue to build on that? So there's a guy by the name of uh, Tony Evans. Some of you have probably heard him on the radio. I heard him at uh, the Moody Pastors Conference a couple of times. He's written books. I've read a couple of books. And he gave a great illustration of um, uh, building and foundations and security and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to share it with you. I just thought it was really good. So here's his story. He said, a couple of years ago, we took a cruise to Alaska with some of our ministry supporters. And on our way back, a storm broke out. And it was the worst storm Royal Caribbean had ever had. The waves hit 50 feet. Plates were flying. Pianos were rolling. People were throwing up. It was a messy situation. People were screaming all over the boat. My wife became evangelically ticked off. (laughs) This is what she did. She picked up the telephone and said, May I speak to the captain, please? They said, Ma'am, captain's on the bridge. He can't talk to anybody right now in the light of the storm. She said, Would you please tell him I am very upset that he would put us through this when he could have avoided this. He knew it was coming. I just want to register that I am thoroughly upset about this. I said, I will relay that to the captain. A few minutes later, our phone rang. It was the assistant to the captain. He said, ma'am, we have just received your message. It was relayed to the captain, and he asked me to call and relay two things to you. First of all, lady, go to sleep, because the captain's going to stay up And there's no need in both of you staying awake. Second thing is this. This ship was built for this storm. Long before we hit this storm, we knew this day was going to come. We knew there was going to be a day when we'd face nature at its most vicious level. So way back when, when we were putting this boat together, we contemplated this moment. And this boat was structured in such a way that on whatever day this storm came, while it would be inconvenient irritating, aggravating, and exasperating. And it could be traumatic to put you through. What you need to know most of all, that this was considered when we constructed this ship. While the storm is bad, the boat is better. How does that relate to our foundations? You're going to have weeds. You're going to go through storms. You're going to go through all of that difficult stuff. And are you building a foundation now that's going to withstand the ugliness of night? Because you do not know what 2024 hearts for you. None of us do. James says you have no idea what's going to go tomorrow. And I'm not saying that to scare us. What I'm saying is this. I want to make sure that I'm building my foundation deep down so that when the storms and the issues and the challenges and the weeds come into life, I have a rock-solid foundation in which to stand. I don't want my building crashing. I don't want my life crashing. I don't want any of that. So what is the application? I want to give you three applications from this text. Number one, we're all builders. Everyone is for builders. Everyone is are at a place where we are building something in life. I don't know what it is for you, but you're building something in life. And hopefully what we want to do is we want to continue to build on the solo foundation of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So whether I'm young, whether I'm old, whether I'm in a job, whether I'm in retirement, whatever it is, I want to continue to build on that foundation because that foundation is going to give me what I need to hang up and hang on in the middle of a difficult storm that comes in my life. See, what Jesus gives us is the freedom to choose. Do I want to be like the wise man? Or do I want to be like the foolish man? What's the difference? 
One made a different choice. Every one of us has a choice to make. What are we going to build on? What are we going to continue to build on? That's the choice, the freedom that we have in this. We're all builders. You're all building for something. And again, ultimately, we're building for the future when we will stand before the Lord and we'll give an account for our life. So we're all builders. Second thing is this. We have Jesus. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God in our life. We have people in our life. We have a wealth of resources that God uses to help us to build on that foundation. Beautiful resources to help us. Counsel. The Word of God. There's so many things available to us to help us to build on that solid foundation. And so whatever I may be going through in my life, um, I can take the Word of God. And, and, and I realize there's not a table of context that says, you know what, I want to know about my career. Uh, where, where does the Bible talk about career? No, maybe what happens is, as I'm reading and studying the, the Word of God, I read about a guy by the name of Joseph, whose life was torn away from him and went off in a different direction. And as I read the book of Genesis, I learn about the integrity that Joseph had in the midst of his job, in the midst of all the bad things that happened to him, and I learn about his integrity. I think those are the ways that God speaks us. And then maybe when we come to the New Testament, there's more direct teaching on some of those things. So we're all builders. We have access to Jesus. We have access to the resources that God has given us. And the last thing I would say is this. When you're building on that solid foundation, and you're in God's word, and you're learning from God's people, and you're surrounded by God's uh, grace through the resource that he's given to us, face the storms of faith. Face them with faith. That's what we're called to do, is to trust. Faith is, is go, knowing that I'm going through a difficult time. I'm in the midst of the weeds. I'm going through a storm. I'm going through a difficult time. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust a rock-solid person of Jesus, because he went through all of that stuff, right? He went through all of the difficulties and challenges of life, and now what I want to do is I, I, I want to simply do the same thing. He bore up. First Peter says this, Peter went through a lot of difficult times, didn't he? Walked away, God restored him. First Peter says this, speaking of Jesus, he says, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, who is that? That's the person of Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And so we are called simply to put our face in the trust in Jesus. Isn't that good stuff? Man, I want to be building the right way. I want to be building a future on the solid rock of who Jesus is. Let me just say something to you young people. Don't Dismiss the role and the impact of godly people in your life. Your mom, your dad, your teachers. They are men and women of character. And before you choose to walk away, you consider their character. You consider who they are. You consider the influence in their life. Because no one loves and cares for you more than the, the people who have poured their life into you through the scriptures. That's what we saw last week in Eunice and Lois, uh, Timothy's family. They poured their life into Timothy and grounded him in the word of God. Let's make sure that we're building on a solid foundation of who Jesus is. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the privilege we have of being able to study it 
and to read it and meditate. And Father, I, I pray that uh, whatever someone is going through, they may be in the midst of a storm. They may be coming out of it, Lord. They may be getting ready to go into it. Father, I pray that we would continue to look to the Word of God and we would point ourselves to Jesus and the Word of God and we would find practical application how to live, how to rest in you. Father, you are our rock. You are our salvation. You are the one. You are our refuge and help. And you are a very present help in a time of trouble, Lord. And we have all of those wonderful promises given to us in the Word of God. So, Father, help us to continue to build on that foundation. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you would continue to allow us to see the unique person of Jesus, the Word made flesh. Amen. Amen.